production of Radio Six International. Hello, Edinburgh. This is Scotland calling. I'm Ian Spence. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good evening. Wherever you are. Rearrange that. That's how I open the show. It's week three. Let's just enjoy the Edinburgh Fringe. I mean, you'd think I'd have my introduction down rope by now after all these years, but no, it doesn't matter. Enjoy the show. It's packed them all in. We've only got seven days left of the greatest cavalcade of stars, of performance, of theatre, of comedy, of shadow puppetry, of Spoken word ping pong ball games of Facebook like violence, um, and that's Facebook likes causing violence. Um, maybe more on that later on in the week. Today's show Frank Side Bottom, a ukulele, and a comedy store gong show. Actually, that's three things. It, it reads like one, doesn't it? Frank Side Bottom, a ukulele, and a comedy store gong show. Sometimes I wish. I'd started the podcasting when Malcolm Hardy was still causing chaos at the fringe. But the ghost still haunts the image of just going up, having fun, throwing up and just trying some ideas, getting them to Edinburgh and seeing what happens really does power this festival in the city. Uh, Powering the Edinburgh Festival Fringe radio show and podcast, of course, is myself uh, at the podcast corner, edinburghfringe.thepodcastcorner.com. Our broadcast support from Radio 6 International, who you can find online at radio6.com. And more interviews, reviews and interviews can be found at fringereview.co.uk and that's all gathered together in the ifringe.com application. Just point your smartphone's browser over there uh, and it will take you to the download for the app. Right, Mickey Overman is going to be coming up later on in the show as is Joshua Kearney, but we're going to start off with Lydia Larson and Finding Michael Fassbender. <laughs> You didn't bring Michael. I didn't, know. <laughs> How many interviews and things have started off with that easy opening line? Actually, not as many as you think. I think, although it is obviously called Finding House Fender, um, it's not really about him, although he does feature a cameo of sorts. Um, yeah, it, it's not really about Michael. That's about you. Lydia Larson joins the show now with the, with the play Finding Fastbender. This is my fourth time performing at the Fringe, but my first time writing because I bring my own work, which has been terrifying but really exciting. Why terrifying? You've done this before. You've done this beast. You know what it's like. That's true. It's um, Oh, yeah, you've done this beast before. You know what it's like. I do, but I, I'm never writing something and then performing in it. It just feels like a kind of another... Um, yeah, just totally exposing and um, nerve-wracking, but also hugely liberating. The whole experience for me has been really exciting to be able to... The whole, the, the whole, yeah, so why I wrote the show was basically because um, I sort of getting frustrated with lack of West Midlands accents on stage. I'm from the West Midlands, and, um, and I sort of, for years, uh, when I left drama school, I was trying to be fit into what I thought would help me get work, which is with an RP accent. And so um, for years I sort of did that and then I had an experience where I used my own accent for the first time on stage and it was just so exciting and liberating and amazing experience that then I thought, right, I want to address this. I feel like now I've found my voice and I want to write a piece where, yeah, I can kind of champion Midland stories. Um, Yeah. And you do that by taking the piece and moving to London. 
the- theatrically. Theatrically, yeah. So it centres around a character called Eve who feels like um, that if she doesn't live in the capital, she hasn't lived. Um, and I think there is that kind of pressure that if you don't live in the city once in your life, like what kind of life have you got? You know, um, Is it a worthwhile life? And so because of the death of her auntie and some other feelings that she's not... Um, she's not doing enough or she doesn't know who she is she thinks that this might solve solve the answer so she moves to London a work promotion takes her there and initially it starts off brilliantly it's really exciting as you feel like the city is everything's open late um, you can get a kebab at three in the morning it's fantastic but then quickly she realises it can be a really lonely place if it's not your so she considers um, packing it up and then she discovers a letter to a film actor um, which uh, embarks her on a different kind of journey I did actually receive a letter to Michael Fassbender in the apartment I was living in in North London about five years ago and I had the idea then but it took me until now to write it but also because he's um, he's not sort of very much in the limelight so much um, he's not a sort of Brad Pitt star he's quite um, uh, you know him for his work yeah. rather than for his Th- there was a point when he threatened to go down that route but then he would take on projects like Frank where yeah, he, where, exactly. which wasn't Frank Sidebottom no. and you would be a fool to think so but it was really really close so yeah I was sort of attracted to using a person like that that makes you think that you could actually be friends with this person they're not so out of reach as far as like celebrity obsessions go it's not like sort of going out for dinner with George Clooney he does come across as quite a regular guy that you would see in the local boozer um, which is sort of um excites Eve that you know he lived in this flat and that she could be part of that world I I think I really well I was working with my amazing director Blythe Stewart when we started off um writing and workshopping it that actually it was a bigger play than we thought it would be um initially it was sort of a celebrity fixation about yeah a woman who sort of became obsessed with Michael Fassbender but it quickly unraveled that actually it was about much more than that um and that was really exciting to discover you know, and my hand up as well. I moved down to London when I was young to go for for business and and work and everything. And there's and there's that attraction and then that, that all ties in. And of course, you've got your your accents. Also, there's a lot of layers at work here. Yeah. Um. When when I started working on the play, um, with my director Blythe Stewart, we realised quickly that quite soon on that it was a bigger play than we ever thought it would be. We thought it would just be about, not just about, but about a woman who you know becomes obsessed with a celebrity and quickly we've discovered it was about a lot more than that and um about discovering who you are as a person and what that means and how how you can navigate the bigness and the smallness of your world and it doesn't necessarily mean that if you live in london you have a big world a uh, big life compared was, to was this always going to be something that debuts at the fringe was it written with the fringe in mind um it was written well not really well um it started off because um we applied for Vault Festival uh, in London and we were offered a working progress sharing there and that went down really well it was very early days and it was very raw writing but it went with the response was really good and then um, from there we just thought right let's let's do something else with this and then the fringe just sort of appeared the timing just all worked out really well and then the fringe doesn't just appear it's just it's just a hulking great big gorilla of oh I didn't see you there the fringe appeared with a paper mache head on itself and we were like this is the this is what we're going to do oh no it's just the time hello there little fringe hello. <laughs> hello little fringe and then it all worked out and then yeah and we're like let's let's do this it all happened really quickly after vault and now yeah and now we're here and it's um, it's amazing yeah. to share and, and you're moonlighting away from this as well because it's fringe so everybody has to do more than one thing when they're up in Edinburgh. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I'm I'm doing another play as well, um, 
called Skinner Cat, um, which is on assembly rooms, um, and it's at 410, and it's by this amazing writer called Isley Lynn. Um, and it's a coming-of-age story about uh, a different kind of coming-of-age story about sex and um, how it's awkward and messy, and it's not often how we see it on television or films depicted. It, is, um, it can be uncomfortable, and, but it's a hilarious play, and it's, um, we've had so many amazing audience responses, so it's, it's, it's exciting to do a play that I've not written, but I love being in, and then also sharing something that's... So was, was that an audition process for you to go into that? Was that just normal casting or that? Um, well, I, we actually started Skinner Cat Play. It's had, like, this its third outing, so that started off at the Fultz a couple of years ago, then we had a run in London at the Bunker Theatre, and now it's on a tour and here. So um, I've been involved with it from the start, and I feel incredibly lucky that I have, because it means so much to me. So I sort of, yeah, I'm thrilled to be doing did, both. Does did, did part of you think that... Fastbender has that same sort of life, or is this it right there? It's it's done. It's 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 a one and done show, or is it one that can have life like Skinner Cat? I'd love Fastbender to have um, a life after the Fringe. I think, I think because it is a story about leaving your hometown and moving to the city, um, I think it can be taken anywhere, and it should be taken everywhere. Um, and I'd love as many people to see it because. Yeah, I think everyone can relate to it um, in some way. So I really hope there aren't any plans at the moment, but I do hope that we have the opportunity to share it far and wide. Because yeah. do you want to take it home? I would love to take it home. Where, <laughs> uh, where would it go? Can you already see where you would put it on? Um, yeah, there, well, there's a lovely theatre called the Arena Theatre in Wolverhampton, which is where I did my first um, my first play um, as a 15 year old with Youth Theatre. So it would be amazing because it is so Wolverhampton centred. Um, there's lots of Wolverhampton references. Uh, so that would be wonderful, definitely. Yeah. Well, we're not going to Wolverhampton just yet, yeah. but now they know. Where can we see it at the Fringe? You can see it at Pleasant Courtyard. This is the space, and it's at 11.45 in the morning. Lydia, thanks for your time. Thank you very much. Does he know, though? Has, did, have you written to Michael Fassbender to tell him? Yeah, I have, I have, yeah. Has he replied yet? <laughs> no, he hasn't. <laughs> There's a struggling actress somewhere in London that's got a reply for, who's this Lydia? Yeah, 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 someone else has got it and making the second part. <laughs> and off we go into the Matrix. Lydia Larson there on her show, Finding Fastbender. As always, links through to the Edinburgh Fringe box office can be found at edinburghfringe.thepodcastcorner.com where you'll find a little bit of details about what venues are going on and then through the box office, we'll give you all the times. Now, most shows will be running through until Monday next week some shows will stop on sunday so and some the occasional show does stop on saturday so so do seriously check listing for details for any of the shows that you're hearing now because while most of them will run to the end i wouldn't want you to miss that last day if you've been planning to do something really really interesting right then big man little instrument the big man is joshua karnich the little instrument is paul levy We're here at the Edinburgh Fringe, and my opening question, um, it's not personal, but is there anyone here with a show that doesn't involve a ukulele? Um, I don't know, as far as I know, there's quite a few that don't involve the ukulele. But it's, but it's a popular thing, isn't it? It's very, very popular. It's in vogue, for sure. Now, I'm joined by, that sounds like an Australian accent to me, who are you? I am Joshua Koenig, I'm from Adelaide, very Australian. And your show's called? Big Man Little Instruments. Now, tell me what is ukulele about your ukulele show? Well, it's a, it's a ukulele cabaret. Um, essentially, 
it's a bit of a dark story. I, I grew up in a Jehovah's Witness family and I exited in dramatic fashion about four years ago and was subsequently shunned by my family and friends. And um, I decided over time, over several years, to write stories, storytelling, poetry and songs about that event. Picked up the ukulele, eventually wrote a cabaret and so now I've got a... 50-minute show that basically mythologizes the characters and events of those years or those those months, I guess, around that 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 event of leaving leaving my religion, um, and I, it's very much a story of triumph and starting a new life um, after a broken a broken shattered shattered world. So a real story, which is always great, happened to you, and the opportunity to squeeze in some ukulele songs. Look, it's like it's a very personal, intimate tale, and um, I guess like quite confronting in uh, emotionally at times. And the ukulele is such a great counterpoint to that because it's such a light-hearted. You can't be sad with the ukulele. So as much as I like will hold hold tension with the story, I'll release you from the burden right. with with the the beautiful little tiny ukulele. <laughs> Do you think a ukulele is innocent until someone picks it up and plays it? Innocent? Yeah, because I've got this image now on Judgment Day of, I don't want to belittle it, but you get incinerated and then this ukulele drops to the ground. <laughs> Look, to me, it's like, it's such, a, it's such an accessible and beautiful instrument. Um, it very quickly allows you to, to, do, to pick it up and just jump into telling stories. And for me, it's this thing that it stays out of the way, you know. It's not a show so much about the instrumentation as it is about telling the story. Yeah. And the ukulele is great for that because no one expects you to do amazing things with the ukulele. Whatever you do is just... It just an, an adds some melody, adds some emotion. It also sounds like with a shattering story to bring to the stage, it somehow makes it bearable. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's very important. I, I break up my songs... I alternate my songs between something slightly humorous and something a, a lot more personal, and and that's I think that's important because it is it is a confronting story, but something I needed to tell and something I think needs to be told more broadly as well. How did you make the show? How did I make the show? Like when I first came out of the church, I was extremely reluctant to tell the story at all, and very slowly I started to open up to close friends about what had happened and I found that very quickly people were very interested in the story and so I wrote a couple of songs for my own therapeutic benefit and then um, I had some plans to come to the UK long term and I thought before I go I'm going to do a show at Adelaide Fringe because Adelaide Fringe is like a place I've always wanted to play and um, so I forced myself to kind of continue writing about the story and, and really make a really honed uh, compact story um, and show about that whole that whole process and so uh, I ended up coming up with a lot of good set pieces that really capture the whole the whole story from start to finish of, of, of leaving the church and coming to terms with a new reality of life and um, when when the songs came did they follow the writing or was it all kind of interspersed some of the songs I'd written before I'd come up with the idea of doing the show and those I thought I'd written a, enough material to do a whole show but it ended up that I wrote maybe 70% new material and I kind of created this new format where I would 
I would I would play some music and then and then stop and tell some more story while playing, just kind of strumming, um, and then and then and then kind of seamlessly move back into a, to to the to the playing of the music. So it's kind of like interspersed storytelling, poetry, music, um, very much very much songs around those events, but also like telling telling more about telling the story. Uh, with with a melodic backing track, almost, and bringing that to the public, you know, there is a catharsis there. What 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 is the nature of that to heal and resolve you? Yeah, like like I said, when it, when it fir- well, then all this first happened, I um, was almost unable to talk about it at all. I was married back in the church as well, and um, uh, like when I when I came out, I didn't want to tell anyone that I was married and divorced in my twenties, that I'd ever been involved in this church, which I was always ashamed of. And once I started opening up, I started to be able to um, introduce this reality back into my character, into who I was, and come to terms with this is actually a part of me and like a very big part of me. Like I can't ignore all this stuff that's happened. And in fact, the show. And writing it and performing it has helped me embrace these things and say these are not only part of who I am, but really valuable parts mm. of who I am. And they've given me so much of a story to tell and 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 so much reason to get up there and tell my story. And I I I, I now love doing it. I love and now love telling my story. Where in the beginning I I, I kind of hated talking about it. And do you tinker with it now when you do different shows? Do you add bits or take away? Or is it pretty much printed? I, I absolutely tinker with it. Like, I, I've, I've come up with the stories I'm going to tell, and I've, but I very much try to tell them present in the moment. Whatever I'm feeling in the night, whatever details need to be, need to be brought out in the moment. You often see people at the fringe that when they can't locate their mobile phone go into a panic. Do you, if you didn't know where your ukulele was, would you have a similar panic to not knowing where your iPhone was? Oh, like it would be the death. Like I actually lost my luggage, which had my favourite ukulele in it, when I arrived in Edinburgh. I had to wait three long days for my ukulele to turn up at my door, and it was a painful. It was a painful. Fortunately, I have about four or five ukuleles. <laughs> I had a backup one that I was playing in the meantime. <laughs> it sounds like a unique and important show to bring to the fringe. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you. Tosha Kenneth there with his ukulele, the big man, Little Instruments, is playing at Sea Royale. As always, you can get more details back at edinburghfringe.thepodcastcorner.com and a link straight to the edinburghfringe.com ticket office. So you can buy tickets online and pick them up with a swipe of the credit card when you get there. As always, uh, Fringe Review uh, helping out there. Uh, Paul Levy conducting the interview, but there's more from Paul and his team back at their website, uh, full of more interviews, reviews, thoughts, opinions, and editorial around the Fringe. Okay. Everybody loves the fringe. Not everybody knows about it until they start moving around in the correct circles. But how do you get into this whole great big game? Mickey Overman is starting out at the fringe. So uh, her show, Role Model, is probably a great way to find out how to get started. Joining me now, someone with a, a list of credits as long as the list of stamps in our passport. Mickey Overman joins us on the Edinburgh Fringe Show. Welcome, Mickey. Uh, thank you very much for having me. That's a lot of stamps there. Dutch, Canada, 
London, which is probably going to get its own passport stamp soon enough, and, and now here to Edinburgh. What torturous route brought you to this festival? Uh, well, it has been a bit of a torturous route, actually, and that's what I'm going to talk about a little bit in my show, like how I got to be here, basically, because I've lived, yeah, I've lived all over. <laughs> I don't know, I never wanted to stay in the Netherlands, I don't think. And I think when I left, my parents were very much like, yeah, we were expecting that. We were not expecting you to stay here. So Canada first, and then my visa ran out, and then uh, London for a bit. And, that, and now here? Yeah. I guess this is a different country. <laughs> um, yes, this is a different country. We, yeah. <laughs> London might have some question marks over that, and now we're deeply into politics with somebody from Europe. So <laughs> let's just swing that back, and why comedy? Um, it's very standard, I think. You know, like I had a breakup, and then... It's like a voice in my head was always saying, you should give this a go, you should give this a try. And then uh, the breakup sort of let me, you know, it's, it's like that final push where I thought, okay, I'm going to move to London, I'm going to give it a go. So, so I did, I moved to London to try it. Yeah. So you started to stand up when you were in Canada or you started in London? In London. Yeah, I'd never done it before. I'd never done it back home, I'd never done it in Canada. So I started properly in, in London three, three years ago. Talk about that first gig then. Uh... Well, I did I did one of those, like, because I was very scared and I didn't know anything, I very little about stand-up. So I wanted to try it, but it was sort of an idea. So I did one of those, like, six-week courses that people really look down on, you know. <laughs> They're like, oh, you can't teach funny. But uh, actually, it just really helped because they just gave me some tips on where to go, like where to start. What you, you can still start. teach structure. You exactly. can still teach how to hold the microphone. Yeah. They, they taught me uh, the, the sort of, uh, what is it, the three-part structure of a joke. No, rule of three. I've never heard of it before. And, uh, and uh, I thought, great. So then I came out with five minutes that were kind of okay. And then I just started with that open mics and then here we are today <laughs> I love that you, you, I love how you've went over from the oh we've just done open mics and now I'm in Edinburgh yeah. um, and there's a little bit more than that there's a little bit of awards and nominations and you're on the comedy store and all of that so yeah. let's let's be fair you see so many people come and go and it's it feels like there's a little bit of luck that comes into it as well there's some person liking you some person seeing you at the right time uh, but you still have to obviously gig all the time to be able to be in that position so it's not just luck, but it's... The more you gig, though, the more chance you have exactly. of being seen by one person who can open another door, who can open another door. I mean, yeah. to go down that, what do we got? Charles Best Newcomer in 2018, but as a nominee, don't worry. Finalist again for <laughs> Funny Woman. Finalist in Leicester Square Comedy. So you're never quite making that last step, no, so you don't no, need no. to be too entitled. <laughs> not a winner, not a winner. Uh, that's that's the Dutch, they're so just happy. Oh, no, we, we were there, we took part, we were fine. <laughs> yes, we're very, we're very humble people. Very direct, but very humble people. Uh, and all of that, I mean, was Edinburgh a conscious decision? Or was it sort of, that's what we do next? Or how, how did yeah, you decide totally. to do Edinburgh? Yeah, totally. I, I mean, I, it's always like a, a day at a time kind of thing. Because I don't know anything about comedy. I'm not one of those people that came into it and knew loads of comics and had seen loads of things. I just, I just go with what other people are doing. So I had never heard of the Edinburgh Fringe when I first started comedy. And, uh, and now it's three years later and... It's all you hear about, but it's just kind of... I just kind of went with it. I, I The first time I heard about it was when, when I... For, in my first year of starting, when people were going up and doing shows. And I was like, okay, cool. So this is like a big... This is a big deal. It's a big thing. And then I went up for a couple of weekends, and I was like, oh, this is amazing. And then last year, I did half an hour with my uh, buddy Helen Bauer. And uh, and that was just sort of like a taster kind of thing. And then it's just it's just really exciting the idea of doing your own show as opposed to doing 
10 minute sets where you kind of give a snippet where it's like oh you can actually tell a story and people will listen and not be bored like they would be if you did that in a set where they're just like no 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 no, none of that now please uh, just jokes <laughs> so you prefer the, the storytelling form of comedy then? yeah that's cool it's cool that you can like actually tell a little bit about yourself which is what I'm doing in, in this show I'm talking about uh, the fact that I'm a nanny and that I take care of like this little girl um, well little she's a teenager now I really shouldn't be taking care of her anymore, uh, to be honest. I'm just like a glorified, like I'm a paid friend, basically. Now, this is the point where we actually have to place this person geographically as well, in Canada, yes? No, in in London. No, well, it's worth a guess. You You didn't do anything in Canada, did you? You just wanted a line of the press. Yeah, 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 went through Edmonton Airport really quickly. I uh, I had some, uh, I, uh, yeah, I started nannying like two and a half years ago. That's like the job that I have as my day job. And, uh... And she's just fascinating. Like, 13 is a fascinating age anyway to to, to have for any girl, I think, because of, you know, you get your periods and all that. It's just, it's very, it's very tumultuous time. And she just uh, very much inspired. She's very funny. She's just cute. She's very funny and lovely. And she just inspired me to, to write this, basically. Has she seen the show? Is she... Or- Absolutely not. No. Um, <laughs> not that kind of show, then. No, 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 no. I talk But she about- knows it's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I recorded, she does my introduction every day. So I recorded like an introduction with her. So she introduced me onto the stage, which is very cute. And, uh, but no, no, I talk about sex and there's some absolute filth in there. No, I would, I would traumatize her. <laughs> <laughs> but she knows that she's part of this show, obviously, because she's doing the introduction yes. and everything. Yes. And obviously I had to ask her parents, do you mind if Have I... they seen the about? show? No, they haven't either. But they're very lovely and supportive. And I think... I know I'm a bit filthy and I'm a bit, uh, you know, and I talk about my sex life. So maybe they're like, you know, we don't want to see it, but we're happy for you to, <laughs> to do it. It sounds weird when I say I'm a, I talk about being a nanny and I talk about my sex life, but it works. I've made it work. It's all right. How comfortable do you feel on stage then? Really comfortable. I mean, it's all my story. So it's like if I'm not comfortable telling them, then I mean, no one else is going to tell them ever. And when I started doing stand up, my dad said to me, well, at least you have a reason for all of these horrible decisions that you made before. <laughs> Retroactive justification. Yeah. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, my One of my flyers was amazing yesterday. He just came up to me and he said, can I say, as a sort of pitch, can I just say it's like Mary Poppins gone wrong? And I was like, yes, you can absolutely say that. It's a flyer that. who's never read the original P.L. Travers books. I was just like, yeah, that's yeah, that's absolutely great. Please do that. That's amazing. It's that lovely. It's that one line hook. It gets them in. I honestly, I wish I I'd come up with it. Like that's a that's a great line for a, for a promotion. That's next year's show title sorted. <laughs> Yay! I'll probably not. I'll probably have to stop talking about her at some point. Uh, I mean, she's cute, but she's not. Yeah, we've got till the end of the month to talk about it, and then we'll see where yeah, it goes yeah, exactly. from that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Remind us where the show is on. So the show is uh, at the Pleasance Courtyard, Bunker Two, at ten thirty p.m. And uh, it's uh, it's great. It's such a good room. It's like a really, really good room for stand-up. And it's just, it's exciting. You should all come. It's really good. <laughs> and online details, people can follow you there as well? Yeah, everything is Mickey Overman. Uh, I'm the only person on the planet called that, so it's, it's quite easy. It's Mickey without an E, though, for people that uh, <laughs> spell it the normal way basically yeah, no, the, the, the normal way <laughs> well it is the normal it's like Mickey Mouse it's spelt with an E so that's what people think of when they hear the name well that's only so it can fit the rhyming structure of the song
Mikey Overman now and the show Role Model. And my friends, dot the podcast corner dot com will get you the links to buy your tickets and all of that. Right then, uh, what have we got? Let's remind you of the rule of three just very briefly before uh, we run the end credits music and get out of here and hit the streets of Edinburgh for another day. If you're at the Fringe and you're trying to find something to do, three steps that I recommend. Number one, a show that you know you're going to like, a favourite comedian, somebody you know off the television, anybody like that. Number two, somebody whose opinion you trust. Some of you mad fools might think that's me and the people I interview in the podcast. Great, that's fine. Number two, lovely. Number three, completely at random. Just open up the book, flick through, throw a dart, whatever. Just find some way of choosing a show at random. There's your three shows. That's your fringe. Enjoy that. If you time to go around the clock again, do another three or do another three the next day and the next day and the next day. And I will give you a wonderful fringe experience. Everyone is unique. Look, you'll notice we've got three on every one of these podcasts as well. So you've already got a flavour of the rule of three from the last two weeks. You're going to get more of it over the next week because we're running right through until Friday. Uh, then we just leave you the sort of weekend to enjoy yourselves at the fringe. Uh, so all of that is still to come. Uh, thanks to the guests on the show today, Mickey Overman, Joshua Kenny, and Lydia Larson. Thanks to our friends over at iFringe, Radio 6 International and Fringe Review. And as always, thank you very much for watching, listening, participating and saying hi in the street. I'm Ewan Spence. I shall catch you tomorrow. Ta-ra for now. From the Fringe is presented and produced by Ewan Spence and is a production of Radio 6 International. Copyright 2018.